Hope, everybody say hope. hope. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And we've all experienced delays and disappointments and difficulties, you know, distresses. But when you understand some things about God's nature, the Bible says that uh, he loves a cheerful giver. You know, we understand in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It indicates God's giving forgiveness to humanity through a redeemer is a big deal in the eternal scope of things. So it builds hope. If God can take care of the eternal elements of our lives, he can take care of the temporal ones as well. And so with that, I want to go quickly to the book of Jeremiah, chapter, first of all, chapter 1, and then we're going to read the first few verses, and then we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. This takes place about 2,600 plus years ago. This, in the context, this was the era when the nation, the country of Armenia, was beginning to be created. The town of Pompeii began around this time period. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon about the same time. And um, out emerges a young Hebrew guy, about 13, 14, maybe 15 years old, and God calls him. You know, when he called Isaiah, Isaiah responded with, you know, here am I, send me. He responded. First he said, though, you know, depart from me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God changed his life. Ezekiel, he said, get up on your feet. And he, you know, before Ezekiel could exert his own human power, the Holy Spirit filled him and raised him up. And it gives us all hope that when God calls us, he will equip us. So with Jeremiah, he calls him, and he's, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, uh, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Chapter 1, verse 1 to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. So again, this was about 596 uh, before the common era. This was a long time ago, but it was as real as it is today. Remember Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, those things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus, who is a Benjamite Jew of similar format here, he understood that God has this amazing spectrum of things and he can be trusted. And God is calling in this moment, in this season, in this time, he is a master at timing. Now the context here, like the early church with the oppression of the Roman Empire, the Jewish people had the oppression of a nation of Babylon. Babylon is a system that's very secular. Its sophistication is humanistic, and it's, it's disinterested in God. It wants to make a name for itself. You can read about Nebuchadnezzar building a, a statue and demanding that people bow to it, and the, the Hebrew children said, we're not going to bow the early church, they had the same kind of sensibility that came from the scriptures. Paul told Timothy, whose father uh, was a Greek and his mother was Jewish, 
He said, listen, man, you know the sacred writings. You know the scriptures that your grandmother and your mother taught you. And he, he reminded him that they, they were profitable. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. So the early church would have been reading all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so forth, uh, Joshua, Judges, and all the way through the, the, the books of poetry, the books of the law, the books of the prophets. And these things in the Old Testament are written for us so we can look, not just in snapshots of antiquity, but we can come and get some really practical bearing in our lives, so get some orientation. We could connect the dots from the very origin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. Then he made us in his image, put us in this garden, created the vastness of the heavens. The stars are, are uh, a tribute to his glory. If you, you know, the, the creation declares the glory of God. So along comes this little kid, Jeremiah, and the Lord knocks on the door of his heart. And it was this certain specific moment. He said, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. He said, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, God is announcing to this young Hebrew boy that he has a plan for him. And he is like, he's stymied like so many people in the Bible. Remember when Moses was called? Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am. I tell him I am sent you. That's big credentials in a small phrase. And he said, I, I, I don't even know how to speak. Can you use Aaron? And God, God's like, okay, but you never did really use Aaron. And he helped Moses to overcome his impediment. In the New Testament, when he called, Jesus called Peter, the, the foul-mouthed fisherman, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. When he called Gideon, the reluctant warrior, Gideon gets this invitation, hey, you're a valiant warrior. And he said, I'm the least in my father's house. I'm on the wrong side of the tracks. And if God really loved us, why has all this stuff been happening? And it's amazing how God, who is always God and fully God and faithful and different than we are in those respects, goes to fallen, weak, insecure humanity and continually, generation in, generation out, has his eyes looking to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone whose heart is completely his, that he may strongly support them. The whole bottom line of King David is in all of his high points and all of his low points, it says in Acts chapter 13, behold, David, a man after God's own heart who would do all of my will. And then it summarizes his life by saying, David, after he served the purposes of God in his generation, died. And that's the summary of that man's life. The down-sitting, the uprising, the highs, the lows, the running from Saul, the hiding in the cave of Adullam, the writing of the Psalms, you know, the leadership and the kingship, the failings of his life. And you see it clear as a bell. But David kept running back to God's faithfulness. David would come up to God and say, God, you are all that and I'm not. And I need you. Saul kept running away and trying to work it out in his own power. David, however, kept the conclusion was, I need God. And so here's Jeremiah, and God is looking to him. He's looking to use him. And, and Jeremiah immediately responds with his own awareness of his limitations. He's, he calls him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. A little of that will go a long way in God's value of our human existence. It's amazing. He said, before you were born, I consecrated you. 
I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then he said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. You know, so he comes up with his, God, uh, I, what? And then the Lord said to him, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Look at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? And he saw a rod of an almond tree, that Aaron's rod that budded, that symbolized his authority, his priestly responsibility, uh, the touch of God on his life. The story is that in the Ark of the Covenant, there are three things. Does anybody know what is in the Ark of the Covenant? Aaron's rod that budded, manna, and the law. And there's some important things in that containment. It's a holistic system of God's purposes, his authority, his provision, and what his parameters are. And so here is a young covenant kid, immature, inexperienced, but yet the touch of God is coming on his life. And he gets this assurance, as do we today. God is the same today as he was then. He said, I am watching over my word to perform it. Say that. I am watching over my word to perform it. It's important to understand. When Mary was visited by the angel about the birth of a savior, she made an interesting statement as a young Jewish girl. She said, be it unto me according to your word. And Mary was favored of the Lord. And I think that favor was her response. Part of it was her response that she was willing to say yes to what God had to say. Gideon finally obeyed and cooperated with God. And if you read Judges chapter six and seven, you'll see how God worked out his insecurity and his reluctance. You could see with Jeremiah, if you watch the tracking of this person in the particular context he was in, it was a hard season. When Jesus came in on the scene, there was oppression from the Roman Empire. In this case, there was oppression from Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29. Here's the context. It's uh, 2,600 plus years ago. And Jeremiah is speaking, prompted by the Lord, to the exiles that are stuck in Babylon. They're in it, but they're not of it. They understand, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They have a monotheistic framework. They're in love with God. They're trying to serve him. They're trying to follow his ways. They understand he's a, he has a covenant and a promise to them. And they're displaced in a land of crazy. And while they're in the land of crazy, there are all these false prophets coming in, falsely assuring things, and they're coming in with all kinds of misinformation. A lot of voices, a lot of foolishness. God uses Jeremiah to cut through like a laser, and he speaks to it to the Jewish people in this 2,600-year-old context, in the, in the displacement, the oppression that comes from Babylon. And he says this, verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Wow. 
So it's, there's a time, there's a space, there's a context. He's basically saying to the people, he's saying, build, multiply, grow, accelerate, ignore false prophets, and keep your hopes alive. And uh, this is, uh, I think, the same kind of message that was told to the early church in the context of 2,000 years ago. And I think about when I was raised in Southern California and the obliteration of the failed experiment of the counterculture movement. The, I remember the anti-war demonstrations. I remember the drugs. I remember the, the ethnic strife. What was particular, I remember, was the generation gap. And uh, one of the great promises in the Bible, one of the last statements in Malachi was that the hearts of the sons would be restored to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons. So thundering from that book is hope for the future. Thundering from this book, from this context, think of it. This was terrible. 70 years of weirdness. They're changing the Hebrew kids' names. They're changing their diet. They're changing their, trying to change and, and impose change on the outside of them. But people like Daniel made up their mind and stood with a conviction. I'm going to just be who God's made me to be. And I, I'm sticking to this thing, and I refuse to veer off. I'm, I, and I don't think it's just human determinism. I think it was a help from the living God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And with Jeremiah, his testimony, if you really listen to it, isn't somebody that really developed, you know, people skills and oratory skills and became, you know, developed his prowess and faked it till he made it. He, his help was in God. David was a shepherd. Moses tried to take things into his own hands, and then God had to pull him back because he made a bad decision with a, an Egyptian in the sand dune. He thought he could just kill him and then do justice in his own hands, and the people would expect it and understand he was a leader. And God had to draw him back and develop him in the incubation of time. Our times are in his hands. The way of a man is not in a man, nor is it in a man to direct our steps. The psalmist says, though, that the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. And what seems to be a random, chaotic universe, when you are a believer, you understand, hey, God has a plan. Yeah. And, and he's good, and his word is true. And, and, and look at this. This is beautiful. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Verse 11, and look at this. In the search engines all over the world, this is one of the favorite, most referenced verses in places like Nigeria, Great Britain, America, it, because it has embedded in it this amazing four-letter word, hope. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Everybody say future and hope. Think of the context. Think of the people. Jeremiah is speaking 2,600 years ago to the displaced Jewish people in the context of oppression in Babylon. Think of the promises of God in 2019. How God, who never changes, is faithful. That his word is forever settled in heaven. It's faithful. How we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It's faithful. And his mercies and his steadfastness and his reliability is, is consistent. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. So there was a book written in the 1980s about midlife crisis. And the author wrote this book, and he was shocked that people that were like in quarter life age were buying his book. 
And he had to modify and edit the book because people were so apprehensive about the future that young people, I was in my 20s and I was buying the book to try to see how to overcome insecurity, the painfulness of awkwardness of not knowing what to do next. You know, those seasons, those predictable life crises when you go through between childhood and puberty, you go through up into young 20s, you know, you go from singleness to marriage or from, from no kids to kids and then, you know, they become teenagers. And then just all of our seasons, you know, then we, you know, we get to retirement age. What do we do now? And all those kinds of things. But in Deuteronomy, God instructed the people that as your days are, so shall your strength be. And we get a big cue from King David who, in Ziklag, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He encouraged himself in the Lord. There needs to be some proficiency with this. And uh, he went to the word. He said, in your word, which I praise. Your word, they are the men of my counsel. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not his word. His word is settled. It's solid. It's reliable. It's the roadmap for our life. Lamp to our feet, light to our path. So here, how do we take this in context? This is so much ancient history into a people group in a time frame totally different from us. And yet, listen, this is a standard, repetitive truth throughout the word of God. I know the plans that I have for you. The theologians call him omniscient, all-knowing. God knows what's up. He has plans. Not only good plans, but plans for welfare. That word is shalom, peace, and not for calamity. To give you a future and hope. To give you a future and hope. God sees the end from the beginning. We have a new grandson. He's a month old. And I watched my, my son-in-law and my daughter prepare for him. Married for years. They ran around and they knew that once they had a kid, they were going to, you know, it was going to change things up a little bit. So they got prepared for it. And they've been looking forward to him, planning for him. Then she, we found out she was pregnant, and then her belly started to show. And then before you know it, he's born, and there he is. And he's laying there in the hospital, and he, we look over at him. And it, it, there were like 25 people in the hospital room at 1 o'clock in the morning. It was like a big, fat Greek wedding, man. And the nurses and the doctors, they said, that was so much fun. And we thought it was. We were crying and, you know, and, and with joy because we, there's this little guy we've been looking forward to. And what I know about him is that, you know, God, we've, been, we've known about him for a little while, but you've known him since he was formed in his mother's womb. That's hard to wrap your head around because we're finite human beings. We don't, have that, we don't have that kind of perspective. God has this amazing, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. See, when he created Adam and Eve and gave them free will and they sinned and they fell, the collateral damage was alienation and separation. But God said, hey, I'm going to send a rescuer who's going to crush the head of the enemy. And right embedded in that terrible, bad situation was a promise of a breakthrough. That one day there would be a redeemer that would come and fix up all this mess. In the midst of this craziness, he's saying, guys, be assured, in 70 years, God's going to bring some amazing restoration. And you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I think about Paul the Apostle. He said, I've learned the secret of getting along in humble means, and I've learned how to live in abundance. He said, I, I know how to do all things. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, in high times, 
God gives me grace so I don't get a big head. In hard times, God gives me grace so I don't want to quit. He's the one that told the Galatian church to not grow weary in well-doing because in due time, we'll reap if we faint not. And that's exactly what I want to bring to all of you guys today. What I think the takeaway from the story of Jeremiah and the Hebrew people is this. Affixed in every scenario, in every generation, and in every season, with all the conflict, all the strife, Listen, in the world will have many tribulations, but be of good cheer, he said, I have overcome the world. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them out of them all. And as heinous as things are, it could have been a whole lot worse. As bad as things have been in the lapses of human history, it could have been a whole lot worse. And the way we have to look at it is, God, if, if God really loved us, why did all this happen? Well, since God really loves us, he restrained it and kept it from being worse than it actually is. That, that's the bias I think we're to take as believers. And this is, in fact, what he's saying here. Hey, guys, just keep building. Just keep growing. Just keep praying. Just keep believing. In fact, ramp it up from the whole heart. He said, call upon me, and I'll listen to you. He said, you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me, not half-heartedly. The complacency of fools will destroy them. God doesn't want us to be fanatics and just be all just wound up spinning our wheels, but he also doesn't want us to be dull and callous and dreary. He wants us to be about the Father's business. He wants us to seek first his kingdom, and we're to love our God with our heart, our whole soul, our mind, and our strength, and have a bit of a passion for it, and trust him in the amazing, elating moments of breakthrough and in the difficult, sorrowful times when we're dealing with disappointments. The Bible says, whoever calls on the Lord will not be disappointed. <laughs> and I, I overlay that on the circumstances of my life. So when our church building flooded in 1993, I didn't fold my hands and say, oh God, if you really loved us, why did this happen? And walk off and, and be mad at God. No, I ran to God because God, I know in all this, you're going to turn it around. Even Isaiah prophesied, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises the standard against him. We, like the Jewish people in Zechariah, are called to be prisoners of hope. We're actually inextricably bound and therefore responsible to be carriers of a hope quotient. Not giddy, baseless optimism, but a realistic, biblical view. Hey, life is tough, but God is good. Our Redeemer lives. His mercies are new. He's our shepherd and we shall not want. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because you are with us. Your rod and your staff comforts us. And this is very comforting. And I don't want to take it out of context because it is what it is. This was 2,600 years ago for the Jewish people displaced in a horrible situation with Babylon bearing down on them, trying to disavow who God is, and yet these, these believers are having to just continue to hold to their faith. And not only that, he's saying, you'll seek for me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And this is how I want to conclude. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes. When David got attacked, he went to the enemy's camp, and he, the Bible says he, was, he restored all that was lost. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus comes to give life, and that abundantly. Pop singer Lenny Kravitz said this. He said, success is when you pass it on to the next generation. I think this is what Jeremiah brings to me as a guy raised as a Gentile secular guy that didn't go to church much, 
that has this encounter with the God of Israel, with the one true God, and this format of the scriptures and this promise of a Savior. And that, that according to what God called Abraham and Sarah, you'll be a father and mother of many nations. And they, in hope against hope, believed. And there needs to be an attitude stirring amongst believers today that God, in the hopeless scenarios of the world around me, whether it's Babylon or Rome or whether it's the, the hippie thing of the 60s or 70s or whether it's this uh, amazing pressure on 2019, makes no difference in terms of how stable and mighty and righteous God is and how faithful he is. And as we seek after him with tenacity, we turn to him, we trust him, we keep building, we keep our hopes alive, we ignore the false prophets, we go to the word of God as the, as the standard, and we, having done all to stand, stand. And by it, we fight the good fight of faith. Jeremiah was hesitant from the beginning, and yet look at the message that thundered through his life over the course of time. And even lamented. He wrote a book of lamentations. He, he, he was the weeping prophet. He saw the trials and challenges. He saw the unfaithfulness of his own people. He saw the weirdness imposing and the bearing down from the world. And yet, what we're all called to do is lift up our eyes and look to him and trust. God, you're God, and you always will be God. And you've been God a lot longer than I've been a human but whom you formed in, your, in the mother's womb you knew, and, and that foreknowledge comforts me, and that you know the plans you have for us, that future knowledge comforts me, and that in the difficult here and now, that comforts me, God, with realistic hope that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word won't pass away. And look what this says here, and this is how we should finish. You will call upon me. This is prayer. And you will come to me. That's fellowship and connection. And pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you. Seek, hide and seek. God's not hiding from us. He's hiding for us, and he's wanting us to seek. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. You are seekers. Jesus said, if you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you shall find. In the first service, there's a man here. He told me, he announced to me, I'm an agnostic. I just want you to know. I lived in India, and I'm an agnostic. I said, well, okay, I'm a believer. I want you to know. I'm not going to be heavy-handed with you, but I believe in Jesus. I want you to know that. I will share him with you. I'm not going to cram it down your throat. He goes, okay, okay. And he accepted. He realized. He went from, I don't know, to he realized he could he could know God. I've watched people walk through the valley of indecision, through the sophistication of leaning on their own understanding. You have too. I watched the hippie culture I was immersed in get a touch from the basic, essential Judeo-Christian message that's been around a long time. The solid, faithful, reliable, conventional truth in the midst of a bunch of cultic warpage, in the midst of a bunch of New Age trippiness, drug-infused craziness, mysticism, skepticism, and yet here comes the plumb line of the word of God, faithful, true, trustworthy. And he said, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Don't stop seeking. If you seek, you'll find. And I close with this. Unlimited seeking equals unlimited finding. Through the course of your life, don't go numb. 
Be a seeker. Seek after the truth. Seek after. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way maker. He's trustworthy. He can unravel the tension in your situation right now. He can be there for you in the transition of your seasons. I freaked out on my 25th birthday. Imagine that. I had such a stupid attitude about it. And um, I'm over 28 years old now. I don't even know why I got upset about that birthday. Because faithful is he who calls you, he'll also bring it to pass. And we carry this in our hearts, not some sort of uh, self-medicating, of baseless optimism, but the reality, God, you watch over your word to perform it. Let's all stand up on our feet. What I want you to do now, I'd like you to get with the people you came with, and I want you to pray for one another. I want you to just lift each other up in prayer. Can you do that? Just for a moment, turn around and find somebody and just grab hands or just connect and let's pray the blessing of God on each other's days, wisdom, direction, and favor in Jesus' name.